Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 27, Chi-Town Rumble. All aboard! You know why I did that? Because there's the L train? No, because I didn't know Steamboat is on the show. I told you last week there would be a surprise for you. Good surprise. I knew you'd like it. Uh, love it. That's right. There's no tagline. I made that one up. You, you, you did. Yeah, choo-choo. Also, we could probably cut that into a crazy train. We could, but we're probably not going Probably to. not going to. I don't want you to work harder, but crazy train is a fucking wonderful song. So the Chi-Town Rumble, produced by WCW. Under the NWA banner. Yeah, we don't have any WCW, what would you call it, uh, ring a, ring curtains? No, it's yet. still it's still NWA, uh, everything. That, it's that uh, blue and green. Yeah, it, right? does it actually look like NWA on that I think, band? does it say, it says like AWA. It, to me, that's, <laughs> it says that's, AWA. That's, every time I look at it, I'm like, it says AWA, yeah. does it not? I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. Money's tight, baby. Come it's on. all about what happens in the ring. Come on, Uncle Ted. Spend some money. He's working on it. Don't worry. Billionaire Ted. We'll get there. The Mall of America. So the Chi-Town Rumble event took place on February 20th, 1989 at the UIC Pavilion. We've been to the UIC Pavilion in couple, Chicago a no, couple yeah. times. Yeah, it's probably like four or five at times. Least the, yeah. At least the third show because Starcade 87 was there. We've, we've had Vince hasn't been here, has he? I don't think... I think he's, he's been in Chicago. He's been in Chicago, he's been, he's been not, in Il- not I Maybe not Chicago. He's been outside of Chicago. But yeah, he's been I think in he Illinois. was in Rosemont. Yeah, it was Rosemont. And too. then Super Clash 3, which we just covered a, oh, I love that a few weeks ago. That was um, the, like, one, the lone AWA show? The lone one WA, uh, AWA show, Fucking yeah. please watch it. Watch that show. Uh, that was held at the UIC Pavilion as well. And like you said, it's in Chicago, Illinois, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the show drew an attendance of 8,000 people. How big is the venue, though? It fits uh, probably around 10, 10,000 uh, okay, or so. Okay. So it probably looked good in the venue. Yeah. I mean, I remember it looking good. But, like, you know, it's not it's down, but, you know, this is, uh, like, prime WWF. I mean, most of the shows that WCW, NWA, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. run, the attendance is probably about half of what WWF is yeah. generally getting mm-hmm. on their pay-per-view shows. I mean, it's still, they're still running their own type of, like... Their own, like, it's not... Their own areas, like, they have their fan base. Yeah. They go to the same towns. This is, that's why we've seen this venue before, is because exactly. this is, like, where their fans are. But if you think about it, AWA Super Clash 3 was literally two months before this, mm-hmm. 1,500 people. Oh. In, in, and this in, show is 8,000 people. It wasn't the same venue, right? The same venue. Okay, so it can hold more than 10, because you said... 15... Did I say fifteen? Oh no, you said it was fifteen hundred. Oh, okay. Fifteen hundred. I, I misunderstood you. Yeah, yeah, that's really small. Super Clash Three rules, though. Yeah, I know. If people uh, had just known that it was going to rule. Yeah. Maybe they would have shown hindsight, up. Hindsight, baby. 
I mean, we got 30 years on it. I mean, this is also like, oh, well, Ric Flair. It's true. Ric no, Flair. No, you got Ric Flair. Sting. You, you got, yeah, Sting. Steamboat. God, Steamboat. There's a, there's a lot. Michael P.S. Hayes. Uh, we love P.S. Hayes. Who else, do, who else do we need to mention? Uh, Russian road Assassin Warriors. number one. <laughs> yeah, road, well, the Road Warrior pop, of course. I was joking about Assassin number one. I, I'd hope so. And we have, I think this is one of the first NWA shows where it's like, Every heel has it's like kind of like the Bobby Bobby Heenan syndrome where it's like, where did Matsuda come from? We'll talk and he's about like it. on. I mean, I know you. I know you got the answers, but he's like everywhere. We got Paul. We got Pauly. We got Pauly. But we got Jimmy e, Jimmy C. All right. Well, let's get into it. There's a lot of good. There's 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 a lot of for some context. Here. We got to do oh, yeah, our context yeah. first for February twentieth. Uh, the Burbs would be released the same weekend as the show. Tom Hanks? No, no, I know. It's probably my favorite Tom Hanks movie. Really? Is that fucked up? It's not fucked up. It's not, but the thing is, is, is I don't know. I don't think it's my favorite Joe Dante movie. Are you a Joe Dante guy? I like Joe Dante. Yeah. I'm gonna still probably go Gremlins. Cause... Oh no, yeah, yeah. Like Gremlins. I honestly get very upset when people low rate Gremlins two because I think Gremlins two is a genius work. Gremlins uh, two is much better than people give it credit for. Uh, it is ahead of its time. And it's very smart. Uh, Matinee is a movie that I think people should watch. Have you seen Matinee? Matinee, yeah. You've seen that? Yeah. Okay, I really love Matinee. I watched it pretty recently for the first time, and I kind of lost it. Actually, if I'm remembering, if you say Small Soldiers is your favorite, that's a problem. Even though no, I do it's like not Small, small soldiers. soldiers. If I'm remembering correctly, he did Inner Space. Yes, Inner Space is like the only Joe Dante movie I haven't seen. And I, I know people know. Think, tell me always, always tell me you're gonna love it. And I say, I bet I will love it. I think that I do. Like, Inner Space may be my favorite. I remember yeah. watching that as a kid. Just like it was one of those like guilty pleasure movies that like literally every time it came yeah. on, I would watch it. But I love. I also know. Love I also know. Small little. He did like a few episodes of Eerie, Eerie Indiana. And, Eerie Indiana was very good. And Eerie Indiana was very good. I liked that show a lot as a kid. And I uh, I loved Small Soldiers when I was a kid because it came out and I was like probably oh, like, maybe the original 10 or Prana. something. Yeah, he did the original Prana. He also did The Howling, which was a... The Howling was kind of like his opportunity to do bigger stuff. Also born a few days prior, Elizabeth Olsen, Scarlet Witch from yeah. The Avengers. I find her... There's something about her that I just don't like. I do find her a little bland. There for the longest time until she became Scarlet Witch. Literally, she was just... She, Olsen, looks, she was Mary Kate and Ashley's little sister. Yeah, yeah. And then she actually is now probably a bigger thing. Than uh, the my big the biggest yeah she definitely is my favorite. Like I don't love her as an actress by any means, but there's a movie. Did you see Hell or High Water? Yes. Did you love Hell or High Water? I did love. Of Hell course or High you did because it's great. The guy that wrote Hell or High Water, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote and directed his next movie. He did the screenplay and directed it. And it was called Wind River. Yeah. And uh, it stars Jeremy Renner, and Wind River is like based on a true story, and it's very, very good. But uh, Elizabeth Olsen is one of the lead characters in it, and she is by no means the best part about the movie, but she's fine in it. And my favorite thing that she's done is probably that movie. So you it's a really a, good, it's a, a, it's a really good crime drama. You got a temple recommendation of Wind River. Yeah, we'll definitely watch uh, Hell or High Water and first. I, I'll second the Hell or High Water. It yeah, was, yeah. I think it was my. Favorite, or it was, at least it was in my top five of that year. Oh yeah, it, it was my out. top three. I saw it like I think I saw it twice in the theater. I loved it. It's a uh, one of the better, the better smaller films that has gotten love. Yeah, 
Exactly. It's like anybody can like it. Like my mom would like that movie because it's just a good movie. So let's head off to the show. First up, we got graphics showing video highlights of our competitors yeah, for the it's evening. The, the song's kind of like like synth wavy. I mean, <laughs> you heard the song play. Oh, did you play the song at, at the beginning? <laughs> uh, the logo comes on the screen, and then we go to our live crowd. Then we get Jim Ross, Magnum TA, welcoming us to the show, and they start previewing the matches for the evening. And this is where I pop because no Tony Schiavone. Well, I mean, or because you you found out about Steamboat at this point. Well, I mean, I got sto- I got a little stoked for Dogface. Yeah, of course you love your Dogface. I, I popped hard for Steamboat. See, he, he did write down <laughs> Steamboat in capital letters with <laughs> exclamation points. I did. Then Jim Ross sends us uh, to a video package with highlights of our competitors, and a lot of the shots in this video package actually came from Starcade '88. Yeah, so it's like that's kind of what happens with the way that we watch. Yeah, these shows. I mean, that's basically the only time they have like good quality video, really. I well, mean, yeah, well, especially because a lot of the like in between shows and stuff, just house shows. You might have them in like. A yeah. studio, it's, there's, there's a studio show in Atlanta yeah. that they will run a It's few not matches, like the but... Saturday main events where sometimes we've done those episodes because they're truly important. Yeah. NWA doesn't really have that same way. They just have their weekly show, and most of the matches aren't super important at this no, point no. in time. We then go to Bob Cottle. He's in the back with Michael P.S. Hayes. I love Bob Cottle's big old dumb glasses. P.S. Hayes gives a really good promo here. Can yeah. you feel it? Yep. Because if you can't feel it, it's because you got no feeling at all. <laughs> yeah. Doot, doot, doot. 10,000 fans out there screaming. Screaming like a million, man. Sound like a million. Uh, yeah. P.S. Is, is very good. I'm surprised that he never, that he didn't just become like the like WCW Jesse Ventura. He continued, I mean, maybe, he continued to wrestle for a long, long time. Yeah. Much longer than he probably should have. It's also crazy because we all, like, you know, you think about him now, but, like, yeah, what a handsome, charismatic bastard at this point in time. And then before. And it's, good, he, it's smart for them to start the show with him. Yeah. Uh, he, start, he actually starts previewing the matches as well for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. He, he just, you like, can't shut him up. It's kind of like the Jimmy Garvin promo from oh, like where he was like went on oh that went on for like that forever. one that i got that i yes. painstakingly got you to edit yes, in yes i, I edited so it in it was worth it it was it was totally worth it but, but he, he like starts like going off minutes. and it was just like it's not as egregious no but then he finishes and he's like it's showtime it's like thanks because we walks. all know that like bob coddle doesn't have that kind of energy no he definitely does it and that leads us right into our first match of the night michael p.s hayes versus Russian assassin number one with Paul Jones, uh, the guy in the ski mask. This whole show, like the hard cam. Yes, and I, it's like, is he a, is he like the only Russian assassin fan? But he like wears it the whole time. He does wear it the entire time. I was just like, I was like, oh, yeah, like early wrestling cosplay. So Bad Street USA, the song plays as Michael Hayes comes to the ring, and I am saying right now, if you've never heard this song, <laughs> listen to it twice. Stop the show. Yeah. Go listen to it. Make sure you come back and listen to the rest of this show. It's good. But go listen to that song. It's great. It's uh, it's it's up there for these classic themes. Match starts. Hayes runs the running the ropes. Assassin goes for a leapfrog, but Hayes is stopped and gives a right hand. 
We hear Jr. comparing Hayes to Charles Manson. Yeah, Charles Manson-like stare, he says. And I was like, oh, okay. That All right. seems creepy. Yeah. I mean, for, it's... A, for a face? It seems creepy. Yeah. Face is doing heel shit, I guess. I mean, that's that the story of the late 80s? <laughs> Basically. Hayes is strutting around after knocking Assassin down with an elbow. And then Hayes is tossed to the rope, ducks a clothesline, returns with a sunset flip for a two count. Between all these moves, the two men keep coming back to arm locks and headlocks. Yeah. Finally, it's not assess- the quickest match. No, it it was kind of a slow match for an opening match to a show. I, I, I agree completely because we've had, I think there was a couple of quick quick tag matches where we're like these NWA shows kind of started to start with some fire. Yeah. Uh, I guess a few years back now. Assassin throws Hayes out of the ring, but P.S. lands on his feet, comes back in with a big right hand to knock the Russian down. Assassin hits a knee to the gut of Hayes and begins to rake the eyes on the ropes to gain control of the match. Is that where he, like, runs his face across? Yes. Okay, yeah, it's like, it's not a, like a, a regular eye rake. He, like, seriously, like, he, like, drags his face across the top rope. It looks nice. Russian sickle and the Assassin starts choking Hayes. All of a sudden, the crowd comes to life, chanting, U-S-A. P.S. starts springing to life. Hayes running the rope, ducks a clothesline, comes back with a crossbody for a two count. Another Russian sickle, and back to a reverse chin lock by the assassin. With this many wear down moves, were you ready for the draw? I hate to say it, but I was just kind of ready for anything to happen. Assassin goes to Irish whip Hayes. P.S. reverses it, falls with a clothesline. The Russian retaliates with a forearm to the back and slams Hayes' head on the turnbuckle. While the assassin has the ref distracted, Paul Jones smacks Hayes across the face. The Russian tries to slam P.S.'s head into the turnbuckle again, but is blocked multiple times. Hayes then reverses it, slams assassin's head seven times, then a bulldog attempt. When it's not ten, it hurts. I know, it's like... It's like, give me five, five, or give me ten. Give me ten. Anything in between, it's like... It's like you make me feel like I have OCD or something. But as he's trying that bulldog attempt, the Russian pushes P.S. off. Hayes blocks a suplex and reverses it into a vertical suplex of his own and goes for an elbow drop. But the Russian moves. Assassin tosses P.S. to the corner, charges in, but Hayes moves, sending the Russian shoulder first into the ring post. Posted. That's my new term for that, which is not mine. I uh, learned it from a show we'll talk about later. All right. (laughs) After 10 mounted punches in the corner, P.S. Irish whips Assassin, but the Russian reverses it, though Hayes catches the Russian with his head down with a DDT for the pin. Quick little DDT. And the win. Why wasn't this just like a squash match? I don't know. Because I don't think anybody except for a face mask guy. Because I I couldn't find anything specific telling me this. Oh. But I think originally this was supposed to be a... Tag match? With and there's the, an, like one-on-one assassin match just seems weird. Because the assassins, he usually, there's usually assassin one and assassin two. Yeah. Assassin two had to do something else later in the show. Okay. Not as assassin two, so. But then they could still have made it a squash. They totally could have. I mean. Because like people were up for Michael Hayes, but. There, yeah. there was no reason for, I think this match went like 12, it's 13 like, minutes. It's like 15 minutes. Yeah. Like, it. Didn't need to go that long at all. Like, why would a Russian assassin match go that long? It made no Uh, sense. The one one thing I noticed throughout the whole show, but since we're at the beginning of it, a lot of the people in front of the show are wearing Wrestle War t-shirts. 
Yes. So those are like promotional shirts for a show they're going to have back in Chicago? No. Or what? Wrestle War, I think Wrestle War is actually in Baltimore? Maybe? So it hadn't happened yet, but they were just giving away no. these shirts promotionally so they can kind of like, when they do crowd shots, it's there. Because they don't talk about it during the show, yeah. I don't think. Wrestle, we will cover Wrestle War in like... I just thought it was really weird. Four weeks in like a month or so? Yeah. So it's like their next big show. Yes, it's, but their, it, I, it's their next yeah. pay-per-view. I just thought it was weird because like, they obviously gave the shirts out because they're like various sizes and the people, you know, where would, where, where would they have got them before then, you know? Yeah, I just, I just, it was very weird. I was like, okay, so there's these promotional shirts, but there wasn't like any, I don't remember any uh, commentary or a... Promo. Yeah, like promo, like when we were watching like, some hey, of these later. WrestleMania uh, is going to be like in pre WrestleMania 5 shows. So. There'll be like the WrestleMania 5, like ominous, like, you know. Exactly. Like screen swipe or whatever. So yeah, I just thought that was weird and kind of cool. And I bet that shirt's worth like 250 bucks now. Or not worth the uh, cloth that it's printed on. Oh, no, it's definitely worth a lot. Wrestling merchandise is silly. We then go to Bob Cottle in the back. He's with Ricky Steamboat and family. Little Dragon. Little Dragon and. Mama Dragon. Mm-hmm. Ricky, uh, Ricky says, The moment of truth is upon me. I'm not O.J. Simpson. Oh, yeah. This is pre, pre-Bronco pre party. But I just found that line. Yeah, it's weird when in, people in, say in stuff retrospect, like that. Yeah. That line is funny. Yeah, yeah. He literally then says, I beat, or talking about Flair, he has beaten a lot of good wrestlers, but I think the time has come. Mm-hmm. That's basically all. I'm ready for you. And then you see Little Dragon grab the mic and yeah. won't let go. And Bob Cottle's trying to pull it away. And, <laughs> but he like doesn't want to hurt Little Dragon. Could you imagine if Ricky Steamboat was good at... Promos? Promos. That would be so cool. I don't know if you know this, but Ricky actually had retired, basically. I mean, we I assumed that from the... like I knew he eventually came back, but like that's the vibe you got from... like That like last WWF match seemed like his like farewell match. Yeah, he basically... He comes like, out with his he, family. He finished, and like He's like... I think that Ricky Steamboat... Like, I don't know much about him personally, but he just seems like he's too nice for wrestling. He's like... Seems like too big of a sweetie. It's a lot of it. So basically, after Starcade, we mm-hmm. mentioned at the end of the Starcade episode we did a couple weeks ago, Dusty Rhodes got fired and everything. Yeah. They made Ric Flair the booker. And the first thing Rick did was call up his buddy... Steamboat and be why, like, why the fuck would you not? Hey, come back. He's fucking Ricky Steamboat. And basically, like, yeah, I got some money for you. You have a kid, and like, you're gonna get to come back and yeah. be in the. Also, you're in a Ric Flair World match. Heavyweight Championship picture yeah. like, is, from is, the get go. Is there a safer match than a match with Ric Flair? Rick's gonna bleed, no. and he doesn't like the chops. But the chops are not like it's not like Ric Flair is gonna pile drive you. Like exactly. he's just not that kind of technical wrestler. So, like, I'd much rather have a match with Ric Flair than just about anybody else on this card. It's true. For somebody that is by no means trained. <laughs> Steamboat's back, as we see here, and we'll get to his match later on in the show. But now we go to our second match. We got Sting versus Butch Reed. Hacksaw. With Hiro Matsuda. Also, uh, I popped for Teddy Long because I am now a Teddy Long stand. We're gonna we're gonna grow to love Teddy Long more and more over the time as we go through this. But Hiro Matsuda is a professional wrestling and WWE Hall of Famer, and his background mostly is as a trainer. 
Oh, yeah? He trained many famous wrestlers, such as guys named Hulk Hogan, Paul Orndorff, Lex Luger, Bob Orton, Ron Simmons, Great Muda, and Scott Hall. God damn. So was he like, uh, is he's actually from Japan and moved he here? He is from Japan. Literally, all the guy, all the like American guys you named had runs in Japan at some point. Yeah, but the only Japanese person you named was Muda. Muda but that's like yeah. big shit. I would like to watch some Japanese Hogan stuff because all the stuff that we've watched, it's all like pure pomp, and then like there's not really any particularly amazing wrestling. I would be interested to see him in a Japanese if, ring. I don't know if he ever does anything that's super amazing. It's like big boot, elbow drop. It's literally all that's, you need. That's a different show. It's not all you need. It's not all I want. It might be all that you that he needed, but I personally need more. So the match starts between Stick, Sting and Reed. We've talked about Matt yeah, Suda yeah, quite yeah, yeah. Uh, The two begin arguing in the ring, and then Sting hits an atomic drop, and then Sting gives his yell. Butch starts complaining about Sting grabbing his hair, so the ref, mm. Teddy Long, goes and talks to Sting about it. And I, I kind of felt like it was something going, like, it was something like this. I'm going to reenact. Okay. Now hold on, player. I can't make this a tag team match, so you got to play by the rules. Is that your Teddy Long? That's my Teddy Okay, Long. cool. I like it. If you know Teddy Long, you, you know. I, I'm more familiar with this older Teddy Long, but I know that he has a rich history uh, in being uh, on a microphone later. He always says playa. Playa, yeah. And he always made everything a tag team match. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. It's good. It's, but yeah, Sting. I love Surfer Sting. Surfer Sting. So he's like his like th- thick little rat tail, and then like the the pink and bright blue boots. At this point, Sting is the most handsome man of the two brands, right? He may be the most handsome man out of everybody. But yeah, well, like, even, like, between, like, NWA and, like, WWF, like, who's, like, outside... Rick, Rick I, Rick, Martell? No, uh, Rick Rude. I'd take Rick Martell over Rick Rude. You think Rude. so? Rick Rude's a pretty sexy fucker. Yeah, he is. Uh, Reed starts running the rope. Sting does two leapfrogs, attempts a hip toss, but is blocked. Sting then flips around Butch and finally gives him the hip toss and multiple drop kicks, so Reed rolls out of the ring to break the momentum. Sting locks on a headlock that Reed keeps trying to escape, but the Stinger keeps it locked on. At this point, JR throws in a WWF disc by saying, we wrestle here in the NWA. <laughs> I mean, they're wrestling here? It's true. Sting running the ropes, Reed leapfrogs, tries for a hip toss, but the Stinger reverses it into a backslide pin attempt. Reed then Irish whips Sting, follows in with a big elbow, but the Stinger moves, causing Butch to hit the turnbuckle. Sting then locks on a wrist lock, embiting Reed's hand when the ref isn't looking. This is some faces doing heel yeah, shit. Dude, fa- yeah, face biting is a thing, I think, in all of 89 and probably 90 as well. Reed then slams Sting one-handed, but the Stinger is able to keep the arm lock on. It's like, uh, where is it where Sting does, like, he really sells, like, him wrenching in oh, a yeah. lock and it looks so good? Also, JR brings up, like, him moving well like a, a big man like Larry Bird or Magic Johnson. And it's just kind of fun when they make those, when they talk about stuff from that time period and it kind of really brings you to it because like we're watching it far removed but whenever like you know like the oj line earlier it's like ah, it always kind of just kind of like like hones in where you are in history while you're watching it stings around the ropes and reed tosses the stinger to the floor as sting rolls back in butch starts attacking him with chokes rubber band slams second rope double axe handles all to gain control 
and as the ref backs Reed away, Matsuda starts choking Sting from the outside. Now the ref is admonishing Hero, and Butch is choking Sting in the middle of the ring. Stinger looks out of it, so the ref starts raising the arm, but it stays up on the third try. Nah, man. Sting starts to fire up, but Reed would pull him right back to the mat in a headlock multiple times. Butch starts using the ropes for leverage on the headlock, and we get a crowd shot, and we get a guy in a Hulkamania shirt. These these, uh, directors of the NWA show keep finding people in the wrong company shirts. (laughs) I like that, uh, how like JR, they keep like selling Butch Reed as like the dirty wrestler, but Sting is doing all the dirty shit. Like he's biting. I mean, and like, like Butch Reed doesn't. leverage thing is like the first thing that Butch has done. Yeah, it's like like Butch has, like Sting's done way more dirty stuff. If you were to like do like a pro con, like what dirty shit. If you made a list of what both guys did, like Sting's is a few articles longer than Butch Reed's all said and done. Sting finally escapes the headlock by running Reed into the turnbuckle. Stinger with some right hands, scoop slam, goes to the second rope for a backward splash, but Reed gets his knees up. Mm-hmm. JR says he was trying for that one card, but he didn't get a straight or a flush. Is JR a, uh, a poker man? Sounds like it. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you might know. You're kind of a poker guy, right? I'm a poker guy, but I don't know if he is or not. Yeah. I, I just felt like JR on this show, actually, he had some more interesting no, he's, commentary. No, he gets, he gets way better on this show. I I appreciated him. Maybe it's the lack of Tony that's letting <sighs> shine through a little bit. The less Tony, the better. Butch Irish Whip Sting comes off the ropes himself for a flying lariat, but Sting ducks, sending Reed rolling out of the ring. Sting then with a vertical suplex to bring Butch back into the ring, but Reed pulls Sting by the tights to send him through the ropes to the floor. Butch slams Stinger's head into the turnbuckle, snapmares him back into the ring, then hits a neckbreaker for a two-count and locks the headlock back on using the tights for leverage. Teddy Long starts asking the crowd if that's what Reed is doing. Yeah, I, you know, I went, so, I, I went, I sold hard for Teddy Long uh, on the last... JR loves his football so much that he mentions that Brad Muster, the Chicago Bears yeah. first round pick. I mean, he is, is in, in the, the front, front and he did the camera thing, but like, JR loves his goddamn football. Sting with a jawbreaker to escape the headlock, and Reed with a eye rake tosses Sting to the ropes, attempts a clothesline, but Sting ducks, goes for another clothesline, but Sting ducks this one too, and the Stinger comes off the ropes to hit a clothesline of his own. Sting with a back body drop, a jumping elbow drop, but another eye rake, and Reed throws the stinger to the floor. Sting with a shoulder block from the apron and a sunset flip, but Reed grabs hold of the ropes. Teddy knocks Butch's arms away, but Reed falls straight down with his knees on Sting's shoulders. Ref is counting one, two, looks up and sees Butch holding onto the ropes, slaps his arm away, uh, which allows Sting to finally roll Reed over. The slap of the arm. For the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post-match, Butch attacks from behind. The two men start brawling. And then Sting hits a haymaker that sends Reed out to the floor. I literally was watching this match, and as he's doing the sunset flip, I went in my head, I was like, has a sunset flip ever won a match that we have watched? I don't know. And then he gets the pin with it, and yeah, I'm just like... Uh, but with the, the pin with, as as with the help that. of Teddy Long. Kind of. I mean, he just knocked his arms off the ropes. But, like, normally he would just, like, stop the count. But because he hit the arm and then continued the count. 
Well, it was the only reason he knocked his arms off because it was a pinning, is because he was with his shoulders down pinning, and so it was technically using leverage. Yeah. To get the pin. I guess yeah, he couldn't do the count. We then go to the back. Bob Cottle's there with Paul E. Dangerously, Randy Rose, and Jack Victory. Who is it, Jack Victory? So Paul E. tells, he told Dennis Condry, who was the other member of the original Midnight Express. Yeah, we know Denny. To stay on vacation because Cornette spent five years with Dennis, so Jim knows his weaknesses. But does he sell it like that? Is that what he says? That's what he says. Okay. So Paul E. brought Victory in as a secret weapon. But it's not the original Express. It's no longer the original. So Victory. It's one half of the Express, and it's one and it's one third because Jim Cornette was the original manager. So, like I was saying earlier, with Russian Assassin One. That's Jack Victory. Russian Assassin Two is Jack Victory. Ah. So that that's why I think that probably that was supposed to be a tag match at the beginning, but they moved Jack Victory. To yeah, this. you think that Dennis Condry was just actually like hurt or unable to perform? So the real story. Okay, I figured I was I was assuming you would have it. Like I told you, Ric Flair is the booker, mm-hmm. but also another part of the booking committee. Is, his name's George Scott. Hillman, Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett's still actually part of the booking committee as well, um, even though he sold the promotion to Ted Turner. They had heat with the original Midnight Express because of Condry leaving a few years earlier. Like right before a pay-per-view, Condry up and left, kind of left him in a lurch. Randy Rose was not a favorite of George Scott's from their time. On the road, doing their thing. Doing their thing. Wrestling's a a dirty business. So the plan was to cool off the feud between the two Midnight Express teams. So at the last minute, Condry was just like, F you guys, I don't even want the paycheck. And just, I'm going to do me. Left. Yeah. He left the NWA completely. But they played it off that he was on um, vacation. Yeah, I mean, it was obvious. So there was a there story. Is a, I think it during the Paul, I don't know if it's Paul Lee, it might be Randy Rose that says it, but he says something about basically draws a parallel to like being sick with the name. So he says like Coronitis, the Bobby flu, and the Stan Paul, fever. Paul Lee, I have the quote. Yeah, I okay, thought, okay. I thought the line it's was very great. good, yes. I have like a bridge. There, does, there is a disease going on in America. They call it the Bobby flu. They call it Stan Fever. They call, call it, it Cornetis, Cornetitis. Cornetitis. So and you're it. looking at the doctors that will cure the disease. Yeah, it's good stuff. Bob Cottle's then in the back with Jim Cornette and the Midnight and the real Midnight Express. And Jim Cor- Cornette's Midnight Express. And Cornette goes, "No force will drive the Midnight Express out of the NWA." So we're off to our third match, and we got the original. Quotation, original, original yeah. Midnight Express of Randy Rose and Jack Victory and Paul E. Dangerously versus the Midnight Express of Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane With and Jim Cornette. Cornette in a loser leaves NWA match. They get in the ring, Cornette wants Dangerously. But they're all, it's all three of them. So like yes, the managers it's a, it's are. It's a six man tag. Yeah. Cornette wants Dangerously, but Rose and Lane start the match off. And JR finally tells us how the stipulation works. Whoever takes the fall has to lead the NWA. Oh, uh, okay. Jim Cornette's also rocking some pretty sick Nikes. It's, it's pretty funny. He's got his he, red he, and black. He looks like he, should, he came off the uh, just came off the golf course. No, he, well, Jim Cornette, but he's got like all the not uh, Cornette. Oh, dangerously. Oh, no, yeah, danger, dangerously. He's got like a pink, just like a pink polo sweater and like some like light khakis on. Yeah, yeah. 
Rose with a sco- scoop slam heads to the top rope, but Lane is up for a press slam and then a clothesline to send Rose to the outside. Lane with a step-toe hold on victory, followed by elbow drops by both Eaton and Cornette. Also, JR lets us know that uh, Randy Rose is college friends with Vanna White for some reason. It's like, uh, I was like, oh, okay. Cornette comes in while beautiful Bobby is holding Rose to give her right hand and then gives a yeehaw. <laughs> would you ever think that you would hear Jim Cornette yell yeehaw? Why not? He's been spending so much time in the South. Rose has a hold of Lane, brings him over for Paul E to hit him, dangerously plays the crowd, and Lane reverses the hold, so Paul E ends up slapping Rose. Rose is knocked to the floor by Eaton, and when Bobby goes to grab him to bring him back in, Randy with a sucker punch to the gut, followed by a press slam of Eaton into the guardrail. Eaton's down, so Paul E's tagged in to deliver some kicks, but as soon as beautiful Bobby is up, dangerously is out of there. Cornette's tagged in and calls for Paul E again, but when he goes to hit dangerously, Rose comes from behind to hit Cornette and then scoop slams him. Paulie's tagged in now and starts attacking Cornette with eye rakes, slamming his head into the turnbuckle. Boo. Dangerously starts taunting and Cornette recovers to hit him from behind, but Paulie makes his way to his corner for a tag. Rose and Victory start working over Cornette until Eaton Bulldogs Victory so that Cornette can make the tag. Old school Bulldogs look so good they're so good it's like you don't it's one of those moves you feel like that this time period you would see more of but for some reason when they do it they just look nastier yeah than they do like you know five to ten years later laying in with right hands drop kicks karate kicks karate but, but, sorry <laughs> but victory tosses lane right into dangerously and then follows with a knee to the back rose with a power slam and a clothesline kicks lane out to the floor Victory slamming Lane's head on the floor. Rose comes off the second rope with an axe handle to the floor on Lane. Side suplex for a two count back in the ring by Rose. Rose tries for a pile driver, but Lane reverses it into a back body drop. Victory then with an Irish whip of Lane to the corner. Follows in, but Sweet Stan gets a boot up and makes it to the corner for the hot tag. Eating with right hands <laughs> to everybody a buck. A back body drop on Victory, scoop slam, goes to the top rope, hits a drop kick, takes Victory's hand and tags in dangerously. Is that that nasty like missile drop kick? Yes. It's disgusting. Eaton grabs Paul E in the ring and then tags Cornette in. Cornette with right hands tosses Paul E to the ropes, gives a clothesline, going for a cover, but Rose breaks up the pin it's, attempt. It's also so amazing that like... This fan base that has been hating Jim Cornette for so long is so behind Jim Cornette. Oh. And, like, Jim Cornette, like, doing you anything to, like, Polly, Jim Cornette in the ring is, like, getting, like, huge pops. And it's, it's fucking awesome. Because they know the true imposter. Dangerously, he's able to make the tag, and it looks like Cornette is in trouble, but he rolls around the ring to be able to make a tag to Lane. That roll, though, he, like, rolls forward, but then he, like, seriously does, like, like a somersault back. Yeah. And it... It looks really fucking clean. I was like, I can't believe Cornette just did that. Lane with kicks to both members of the original Midnight Express. Everybody's in the ring brawling. Rose hits a scoop stand on Lane and goes to the top rope for a splash. But Sweet Stan moves and goes for the pin. But Victory's there to break it up. Also, Victory does nothing in this match. He does not. He is just there. Dangerously throws Cornette out of the ring and then jumps on Lane's back. And the original Midnight Express double-teaming Eaton, tossing him to the ropes and hitting him with a double elbow. Eaton is then Irish whip, but he reverses it to send Rose to the ropes. 
and Lane has grabbed Victory and tosses him into Rose for them both to be down. Rose is then Irish whipped by the Midnight Express, and they hit the double flapjack for the pin and And the win. win. Randy Rose now must leave the NWA. We didn't want him anyway. It's true. And you know know what Jack Victory is going to do. He's going to put a mask mask on. on. Put a mask back on. Russian assassin? Yeah. No one cared about Jack Victory being in this match. That's why he. I was surprised. Like do I, as I was watching it, I was like, he doesn't do anything. And I, like when he was in, I was like, why? He's he looks. He doesn't look good. I mean, that's why they put a mask on him, and he's the fucking Russian assassin. Yeah, but like Russian assassin one was fine in his match. It wasn't a wonderfully laid out match, but he wasn't like terrible in it. Granted, you know, Russian assassin one would probably look just as bad when he's in there with like. Three of the like, you know, Midnight Express. Yeah, like these three guys, like yeah, they're they're revolutionary. Exactly. We go to the back. Bob Coddles there with Ric Flair and Hiro Matsuda. And to answer your question from earlier, mm-hmm. the bigger question is, where's JJ Dillon? That's a good point. So after Arn and Tully had left the NWA, the Horsemen weren't really a thing. No, how can you do it? They had new guys, but and they will. And Dillon. But was offered a position in WWF as well, which he took. So he sold the contracts of Flair and Wyndham to the Yamasaki Corporation. Uh, this is fun. And Matsudi was the, the spokesman for the corporation. Basically, Flair decided if Arn and Tully aren't around, there's only me and Kim, uh, me and Barry Wyndham left, yeah. we're not really the horsemen, and so we don't want to be called the horsemen. So it doesn't last that long, though, does the it? The Yamasaki Corporation basically becomes a different version. Yeah, it's like, of it's the like horsemen. yeah, it's like he's still gonna have a like faction or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, like Butch Reed's in the group. A couple more people are in the corporation as well yeah. at, at different times. So it's it's the Horsemen, but it's not called it's, the Horsemen. Yeah, it's because it, it's, it's not the Horsemen. It's not the Horsemen. On to the fourth match, Rick Steiner with Scott Steiner versus Mike Rotunda. And Alex. And Alex, yes, Alex is always there. For the NWA World Television Championship. And this is a rematch. It is a rematch from Starcade. Match starts. It's very back and forth. Uh, also, I love Rick Steiner, and I hate you for not loving him. I know you do. I'm sorry. Just He's had just to, a just had very to get stupid, stupid man, but as that's we'll see from this match. A charming man. So Rotunda keeps rolling out of the ring every time Steiner gets a bit of momentum. Rick's running the ropes. Mike attempts a hit toss, but Steiner reverses for one of his own, followed by a clothesline. Rotunda offers a handshake at one point, and Alex basically talks him out of it. Talks Steiner out of it and tells Mike they don't want to be friends. I don't know how people do that because, like the, I mean. This doesn't work for podcasts, but like the like where you move your th- we're, thumb we're doing up, hand like, puppets. Yeah, like try to like, no sock either. puppet where it's like, but like the yeah. side yeah thing. Uh, it's difficult. Yeah, no clue. Rotunda applies an ab stretch and Mike grabs the ropes for leverage. Scott's on the outside yelling at the ref every time Rotunda grabs the ropes until Teddy Long sees it, but Mike won't break the hold. So the ref kicks the hands off the ropes, which allows Rick to counter into an ab stretch and then an. Oklahoma roll for a pin attempt. Teddy Long, the real MVP. Always. Steiner starts pounding away on Rotunda before Mike can roll out of the ring. Rotunda hits a cheap shot and goes to Irish whip Rick, but it's reversed. But Mike jumps to the second rope 
comes with a diving crossbody, but Steiner uses the momentum to roll over on top for a two count. So many crossbodies. I feel like we don't see a lot of crossbodies these days. Maybe they used them all up in the late 80s. <laughs> I think they, they did. They may have. Rotunda's ro- running the ropes. Steiner puts his feet up to trip Mike. Not real sure what was supposed to happen here. It's a a bit of a botch, but I think that it kind of works in this match because this match has a very like amateur wrestling style. It doesn't feel like a Hogan match or whatever. It feel this this looks a little bit more shoot really wrestling. It looks more like a like a like a shoot like amateur wrestling match. It doesn't look like a shoot fight by any means, but it looks more like a shoot wrestling match. Just kind of the way that they. They do stuff, and I found that really enjoyable. Rick sends Rotunda high up in the air with a back body drop. Steiner then goes to the top rope for a splash, but Mike moves and then throws Rick to the floor. Rotunda rams Steiner's shoulder into the ring post and raking his face on the guardrail. Rick then reverses an Irish whip, delivers a power slam on Mike, goes for the pin, but then he sits up and starts barking to the crowd, before going to the pin again, but only gets a two count. He was excited. Or he's just dumb. But, you know, dumb people get excited too. You leave him alone. All of a sudden, Kevin Sullivan has made his way to the ringside, grabs a mic, and starts talking about Steiner's dog, Spike, and Rick is very distracted. Yeah, he like he's like, basically, I got your, I got your puppy. But, like, why would Rick bring his puppy? Is this he not always has a puppy. But I've never seen it on camera. Is it real? Does he have a dog? I'm sure he really does. But, uh, but the bigger question is, mm-hmm. he has Alex. Why does he need a dog for? And also, why isn't it, like, if he was smart, I mean, we know he's not smart. That's the whole gimmick. That's the whole gimmick. But his brother is there. Why is his brother like, not? Hey, Scott. Could you imagine Go just, check like, on Spike. if during this match, like, Scott is just, like, holding a dog in his arms? It would be super cute. And then... Kevin Sullivan comes out, doesn't even grab the mic, Scott runs Mike. out, snatches the dog. Scott might start doing math or something. That's a joke you'll get in about 10 years. <laughs> Rotunda hits a back suplex, slams Steiner's head into the turnbuckle, tosses him to the ropes, and attempts a drop kick, but Rick holds on to the ropes. Steiner with nine mounted punches? Because he's slow and he can't count. He's, he's a, uh, a silly bad math boy. He's a dog face gremlin. Alex is his only friend, but not his only friend because his brother's there his and he has a dog. I am uh, so his friend. I still think that that promo is one of the best we've watched. And Steiner then. That was, you just shook your head. I did. I, can't, I don't have a sound for head shake. Steiner then locks on a sleeper <laughs> and the two men fall to the mat with Rotunda on top while still in the sleeper hold. All of a sudden, the ref counts to three. Did we already see this? Not yet. Oh, I feel like I'm... Oh. Rick starts <laughs> celebrating. Scott comes in and raises Steiner's hand, but the ref throws the hand down and raises Rotunda's hand. And new! Teddy. What's up, Teddy? So what counts as a shoulder down? Uh, both of your shoulders on the mat. So if you're in a sleeper hold, your arms are around the head, neck area of your opponent... So would your I feel shoulders like the, not I feel be like, raised? I feel like you could sell that as like if you really raked it in and your like shoulders were back. You know what I mean? I think that I think that uh, Kevin Sullivan miffed this one, which we know that he probably was the 
the the the booker at this point, right? He was probably on the booking committee at this time, yeah. I would say that I enjoyed this the overall match mm-hmm. on this one more than the Starcade match. Yeah, but the finish is But I like the, the finish better at Starcade. I agree with that for sure. I think the finish here isn't bad. It's just that it's not like I think it's a fine idea. It's just not performed well. My issue with the finish because like Rick, the way that like Rick reacts to it is yeah. very good, and I find it enjoyable. We don't like maybe I'm the only one, and they also don't like Rick promos. But I just wanted a Rick promo so bad because I always thought that I was mostly with the current, but I guess I'm against it. Considering it, when it comes to Dogface Gremlin promos, I don't know. My biggest issue with the finish of this match. We'll talk about here again here in a minute. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we head to the back with the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering with Bob Cottle. Paul Crocodile Dundee, Dundee Ellering for no reason at all. Still don't understand why he's... He can't talk. You know who can talk? The Road Warriors. And they talk and it doesn't make sense, but it still rules. What do they say? I know you got it. Hawk says, Chicago is like the OK Corral at high noon. Wyatt Earp and the rest of the gang. Except they use bullets. We don't. Tell them why, Animal. Animal responds, Dead men can't can't feel feel pain. pain. It's true. What? It's good. It makes just as... It just makes... It makes just as much sense as like a Hogan promo and I feel like it's done well. It's, It's fine. I mean... Most promos don't make a whole lot of sense. It makes more sense than any Warrior one, but Warrior promos are fun. It definitely makes more sense <laughs> than a Warrior promo. Yeah, but like those, those are still fun. Like the whole thing about wrestling is that it is it, it's most of it. To be fun. It, 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 like most of it doesn't make sense, but it's about feeling, man. It's all about feeling, man, and whether or not you can feel it, man. So we head off to our fifth match: Lex Luger versus Barry Windham with Hiro Matsuda. For the NWA United States Championship, we see Luger push Wyndham before the bell. And then Luger's running the ropes, catches Wyndham in a sleeper. Wyndham escapes with a back suplex, but Luger no-sells it and is right back to his feet. Atomic drop and a press slam by Lex. Yeah, also, JR keeps talking about like who's going to be the, like, uh, who's going to control the 90s. Because we're like, it's an 89. And they're working up to it, so like that's kind of a thing throughout the show where he like he'll say it in other matches, but he's like like I can see this guy being the like the next big thing of the '90s. He kind of teases it. Yeah, that's true. And he does it hard with Luger for good reason because Luger's a big name in the '90s. Luger, yeah, Luger looks amazing, and I like Luger in the ring at this point. Wyndham goes for an Irish whip, but Luger holds on and runs Wyndham into the turnbuckle chest first. Lex goes for mounted punches, but Barry carries him out to give an atomic drop, but Luger no-sells it and hits a clothesline for a two-count. Back body drop, power slam, Lex heads to the top rope and goes for a flying clothesline, but Wyndham moves, sending Luger to the floor. Barry hits a falling fist from the apron and begins working over Lex, slamming his head on a table and then vertical suplexing him to bring him back into the ring. Dude, a suplex... From the apron into the ring, does it really get m- much better than that? Only a like a stalled vertical suplex, maybe. Yeah. Like where he, they hold him up there, 
yeah yeah like yeah where, where it's yeah where they hold yeah hold it up or it's like or they turn it into like the brain buster yeah or it's like you hold it up for the suplex and then you do the drop Wyndham goes for the claw but luger moves and lex is firing back but barry with right hands and the slamming of luger's head into a turnbuckle before hitting a clothesline sends lex to the floor Wyndham rams luger's head into the guardrail on the outside charges in for a big roundhouse right but lex moves so Barry hits the ring post with his hand, and his hand is busted open. This is like outside of a uh, like head blade job. The only this is our first blade job that's not like what was the inside of the arm one, which was weird. That uh, was super clash with Von Eric. Yeah, Von that Eric, was a m- complete mistake. It was a mistake, but then I think that like he kind of like then he I mean, they, they sold they, it. They sold it and put it into the match. It was weird, but he like kept checking on it the whole time, and like how did. Oh yeah, he's just an idiot. Never mind. Yeah. Rest in peace. I don't, I'm not. I'm not trying to throw shade on the Von Erics by any means, but yeah, he like accidentally cut the inside of his arm. Barry start uh, keeps hitting punches and locks on the claw with the hurt hand. Which... He 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 backs it up. I know you're angry about it, but he does back it up with his other hand. And his claw hand is strong. It's stronger than most men's hands. That's why he does the claw. But they do a good spot of Lex grabbing at the hand. To escape the hold because it's not as strong as it normally is. Yeah, yeah. Wyndham then with a power slam for a two count. Continues to slam Luger's head into turnbuckles. Barry puts Lex up on the top rope and climbs up himself to hit a superplex and an elbow drop for a two count. I, was ex- I, didn't, I wasn't expecting a superplex. But I mean, if anybody's going to do it, look at these big boys. That's right. And like Barry Wyndham is kind of, I feel like Barry Wyndham is underrated overall. With like, he totally is. Yeah, just like he with like get, he the matches. The, it like he doesn't you, get the credit. It's like you know deserves. he's calling this match. Like yeah, Lex is obviously the more physical guy, and he can do the stuff. But like, putting it together, like Barry Windham's putting this together. Lex is not calling this match. Barry then hits a belly to back suplex, and Luger gets his shoulders up as the bell rings. The ref goes to Lex, raises his hand, hands him the title, and new. The belly to back is an amazing suplex that we always love, but gut wrenches are good. It's really funny that all suplexes are fun. It's really funny that Luger gets his shoulders up here for the win. When who had his shoulders up for the last match that ended the same way? Yeah, that's uh, that's the issue that I had with both that match and this match. And I had him. I had the same exact. It's the same exact finish back to back. I excused it being botched in the first one because I like those guys, and I was like, okay, it's whatever. They made a mistake. But to do the same one here, but then it's done very well here. We're like, as soon as it happens, much, you know it's exactly. It's much better done in this match. Well, you know exactly what's going on. Like, in the other one, you get kind of confused. This, I like, just looking at it, yeah. I, like, nobody, like, I don't even need commentary to understand what just happened. I, I just... Well executed. But my, how my, did you do that? My other issue with the match... Is once Wyndham hurts his hand, yeah, like he continues to use it to punch, and he does throw a bunch of power moves. But maybe, in. maybe he's like, "Well, I can't throw a good left punch. I'll throw a right punch, and I'm sacrificing my hand." Do some but kicks. The thing Do is, well, even if he did the punch, if he sold, if he sold the like fact that it, he's hurting himself for the for the damage that he's doing to him, you know, if he like still throws the punch, but he like sells his hand hurting, but he knows well, that he, he can't d- throw he a left did punch. It. He did it like the first couple times he threw a punch, but 
But then yeah. he still went and locked the claw on, and it yeah. was just like it's like, well, you need to do something other than the claw. You need to do something other than the claw. Which he did other power moves, so the, you don't need the power. The you don't need finish the, was yeah, you good. like the like you can have a hurt hand and still do those power moves because yeah. your wrist and your upper body strength is why you're getting that suplex in. Exactly. As long as you got it was his right hand, his left hand's gonna grab those the side of those trunks. So post match, Wyndham. Tax Luger hits a pile driver on the title. It looks nasty. And then hits Lex a few more times with the belt. We talked about this how the pile driver either doesn't look good or it looks amazing. There's yeah, no, there's no there's in no, between. There's zero in between. And this one looks nasty it and looks on the belt. really good on the belt. We then head to the back with Mike Rotunda. Bob Cottle's there. And Rotunda says 10 years down the road, no one cares how it's done. They just want to know who the champion is. And I'm here to say that Wrestling History X is here to prove him wrong. Because I care how it's done. I know. I literally wrote, did he just make our entire show no. meaningless? No, no. Like, yeah. I mean, that's what he said, but he did, they, they didn't know the internet. He's like, oh, there'll be like books. He didn't know that we would have something like the internet in 1989 where people, or that like people would care about wrestling or that kayfabe would break or... Any of that. So it is, it's very interesting. So when he says that, like, I just, a million things flew through my head. And I was like, oh, there's, like, whole, like, internet encyclopedias about wrestling matches and how they finish and how long they are. I, that would have blown my mind as a kid in, like, 91, let alone uh, Mike Rotunda's adult mind in 89. So I ain't mad at him for it, but it was very, very funny. With them back at ringside, JR and Magnum TA are reviewing the show so far. And then we head off to our sixth match, the Road Warriors of Hawk and Animal with Paul Ellering versus the Varsity Club, the Games Master Kevin Sullivan and Dr. Death Steve Williams for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. And we get Sullivan and Animal starting the match off, Sullivan with an Irish whip to send Animal to the corner, and the Games Master follows with a clothesline that is no sold, and Road Warrior hits a clothesline of his own. Animal Irish whips Sullivan and charges in, but the Games Master gets a boot up, goes to the top rope, and comes off with a crossbody. But Road Warrior catches him and slams him to the mat. Dude, a big guy catching somebody off of a cross. And like Kevin Sullivan is not a light man. He is not a small guy. We get some L-O-D. Yeah. L-O-D. L-O-D chance for good reason. They call it the Road Warrior pop for a reason. Exactly. Williams is running the ropes, keeps giving shoulder tackles, and Animal's no-selling them. Finally, after a kick to the gut, Animal is Irish-whipped, but he reverses it and hits a power slam. Dr. Death press slams Hawk, follows with an elbow drop, but Road Warrior moves and retaliates with a clothesline. Hawk goes and punches Sullivan in the corner, and the ref is holding him back while the Road Warriors hit a double smush clothesline on Williams. What's the smush clothesline? They're like he's like Williams is standing in the middle of the uh-huh. ring and they both come oh, from opposite from corners. directions. I gotcha. And smush him in the middle with clotheslines. Nasty. You know who would have sold that really well? Dolph Ziggler. I was gonna say Sam Houston, but Dolph Ziggler would also sell that very well. <laughs> Animal gets dragged over to the varsity club's corner by Sullivan when Doctor Death grabs his rat tail, which brings Hawk over to help save him. The ref is getting Hawk back to his corner while the Games Master tosses Animal over the ropes to the outside. Which should have been a DQ. That's true. Such dumb rules. The top rope rule is so dumb. 
in NWA. But I mean, like you bring it up, but they never talk about it. They talk about it early on, and then they just like you bring oh, it up to get you. No, no, yeah. Poke, yeah. Poke I like. Bit. It's one of those things where it's like I never even noticed it. Maybe in some of those early matches, I would have early shows. I would have understood what was happening better. But they actually called it on someone, it'd be better. They never call it on. But it's also a boring, dumb rule. Sullivan then hits Animal's arm with a chair on the outside while Williams is occupying Hawk and the ref in the ring. We get a double axe handle from the apron by the game's master on Animal, and Williams starts working on the arm of Animal in the ring. A double stomp to Hawk by Sullivan goes to punch Hawk, which makes him want to come in, and the ref has to get him back to the corner while the varsity club hits some double-team action. The double stomp is always kind of nasty, but Kevin Sullivan's big ass doing a double stomp. At least it was on a big guy. But he doesn't. He just does it like... He basically just like hops on him. So for some reason, it looks worse than if he was on the top rope where he could like lift his knees or whatever. A hammerlock slam by Williams, hip toss, and an Irish whip to the corner. Dr. Death charges in, but Animal moves, but the varsity club continues to keep Hawk from making a tag. Animal and Dr. Death give each other a clothesline for the double KO spot. And Animal finally makes... Hot tag! Animal with the power slam on Sullivan. Clothesline to Williams. Flying shoulder block to the game's master. Goes for the pin, but Dr. Death breaks it up. Hawk and Williams are brawling on the outside. Animal and Sullivan on the inside. Dr. Death sends Hawk shoulder first into the ring post. Animal's looking to set up for the Doomsday device, but Hawk is nowhere to be found. Williams hits Animal from behind, and Dr. Death covers Animal. But Hawk is up on the top row, comes off with a flying lariat to Sullivan. Ref counts one, two, three. Williams is covering Animal. Hawk's covering Sullivan. Oh, yeah. The ref comes over. Williams thinks he has the win, but the ref raises Warrior's hand. And the Warriors are the winners. Like, who was the legal guy? This was a hard match to take notes for. Yeah. And we're both sorry. But, like, it gets, like, the last 10 seconds gets really bananas. Well, like, literally, they don't even know who... Because, obviously, Williams thinks that him and Animal are the legal guys. Yeah. But the ref thinks that Sullivan and Hawk are the legal guys. So, it's this very visual of Williams covering Animal at the... At the ring, mm-hmm. uh, the ropes. Yeah. While in the background, you see the ref counting the Hawk Sullivan pin. Yeah. And so you, as the viewer, know what's going on. Yeah, but it's really hard to kind to, of describe. It's very hard and, to describe. Yeah. It looks nice. Yeah, it does look good. We then go to the back. Luger's there with Bob Cottle. Luger has his head bandaged. Yeah, but he's still got the, like. I guess we didn't talk about it, but he had a little bit of blood above his like. I guess right eye. I was doing the, the mirror thing. I was worried that he was gonna get, the match was going to be thrown out. <laughs> but yeah, he has the bandage over it, and it's like, did he actually bleed, or did they like, you know, rub some blood on the top over both sides? It wasn't very much. And then Lex does a promo, and I literally wrote, Hey that, Lex, speak up. Yeah. I can't hear you. It didn't, it, didn't, so- it didn't help that like the ring... The ring announcing kind of cut in over his promo. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, he was like very soft-spoken. Yeah. He's a little less, like, Lex Luger. Great body. Not a very handsome guy. He looks a little bit more handsome here than he will in the future or has in the past. We're back at ringside. JR and Magnum start previewing the main event. And we go to a video package showing us how the match came to be. 
We're at a TV taping, and Steamboat is the surprise partner of Eddie Gilbert in a tag match with Flair and Wyndham. And Steamboat would get the pin after a top rope crossbody in that match. Then we see Flair and Steamboat in the ring at Clash of Champions 5. And Flair insults Ricky, and the dragon starts attacking and tearing the clothes off Nature Boy yeah. before hitting another top rope It's like a real like strip party. Like He like rips his clothes Rick off. Rick gets down to... Nature Boy gets down to his skivvies. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I mean, like, that's what he kind of wrestles in, but, like, it's a little bit more, like, somehow more revealing because of, like, like Ricky Steamboat pulling your clothes off. That's yeah. just weird. So we're off to our seventh match. Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair with Hiro Matsuda for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. As Flair's getting to the ring, we see does, a Does young... Steamboat come down with his family, or is that just in the promos? That was just in the promos. Oh, okay. So it's not like when he comes back for the like WWF where he's got his kid. No, yeah. he didn't carry him. Down. I know he had him in there, and it's like his whole thing's like he can't cut a promo, but we love him anyway. His whole thing is I'm a family man. We see Flair as he's getting to the ring. A young lady gives him some roses, but then as he gets in the ring, he tosses them back out to the crowd. Fuck yeah, he does. I didn't quite get the whole purpose of the roses thing oh i mean he has like the six ladies with him that like are they just meet him down at the ring it was like very he, they should have came out with him because he like has his yeah, whole they intro where out. they like play spot yeah. out with him and... and they're like standing there but they're not the ladies that gave him the roses i don't know it was very weird and didn't make a whole lot of sense jr actually brings up hackenschmidt gotch i know in 1905 i was very very surprised. I popped that. a little bit when I yeah, mentioned like, it. Yeah. I was like, "Yes, dusty finish." Something we will never get to see. A match that no one, that there is no video evidence of. But the match starts. We get Steamboat with a shoulder tackle and a pin attempt seconds into the match. Ricky then flips over a back body attempt by Flair and goes for a schoolboy roll up. Dragon. It feels like he's trying to end this match early. Yeah. So Flair rolls to the floor for a breather. Like Dragon's coming in hot. He knows that he's been out of the game. Stamina is probably not as high. We know that Flair can go the distance, and Flair will take his time. So it makes sense that he would want to go in that high. Steamboat with chops, an Irish whip to the corner, and a back body drop that sends Flair high up into the air. Natch then sends Ricky to the ropes, but the dragon slides under Flair's legs, stands up, and hits a dropkick. And it's beautiful. Steamboat has the nature boy in a headlock. Flair tries to run Ricky into the turnbuckle. But the dragon jumps up on the ropes, flips over, hip tosses Rick right back into a headlock right in the middle of the ring. By flip over, you mean like he hits like the second rope and does like a full full, full like backflip flip. over him. Like yeah. it's way ahead of its time. I mean, not super ahead of time. There's other people that can do this stuff at the time, but in 89, but not a it's lot of not, people were doing it's it. It's not very common and like it's not like you know, a lucha match today where, or even probably a lucha match at that point in time, honestly, where you see a lot of stuff like that. Chops from both men. Flair goes for an Irish whip, but is reversed by Steamboat, and the dragon delivers a chop that knocks Nature Boy down. It's nice when uh, somebody can chop down. The, the chopper, the, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's known for chops. I'm just trying to think of a name. It's the dragon, man. It's the dragon. No, no, no name for verb. I mean, he's the nature boy. He's the nature boy. But, like, just for his his chop ability. 
Flair's running the ropes. Two leapfrogs from Steamboat, and the dragon delivers a chop that sends Rick to the floor. Flair tosses Steamboat to the corner, but he jumps up on the second rope and leapfrogs a charging Nature Boy. Hip toss, head scissors takedown, and a drop kick from Ricky onto Flair. I feel like it's been a little bit of time since we saw a good head scissors. Because like we it's got some, been a few shows, we got yeah. some lucha guys in like earlier. I mean, I think the last NWA, head scissors we saw was NWA shows. The Chavo, yeah, senior. What a fucking match! That was very exciting. Steamboat's running the ropes. Flair hits a back elbow, but the dragon is right back up with chops that send the nature boy over the top rope to the floor. Flair is able to grab Ricky by the legs and drags him to the floor, multiple times slamming the head against the guardrail with more chops and eye rakes on the outside. Nature Boy with a snapmare, running knee drop, double underhook suplex, and some more chops, but Steamboat begins to retaliate with chops of his own. That double underhook was nice. Like we said, we love... We love a good suplex. Just a, a suplex, and especially the less common suplex, whatever it may be. Dragon sends Flair to the corner for a Flair flip, but Nature Boy lands on the apron, runs to the next corner, up to the top rope, hits a flying crossbody, but Steamboat reverses it for a two count. Is that the one where he kind of like botches his own the Flair like the Flair flip from? No, the that was that was Starcade '88. Oh, okay, okay. Dragon goes for a mounted punches, but Flair with an inverted atomic drop and locks on the figure four. Nature Boy grabs the ropes for leverage as the crowd is chanting, Steamboat, Steamboat, Steamboat. I was going to do a a Steamboat, like a choo-choo. How do you do that? Uh, Oh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. I was thinking of like more of a a train thing. I used to have a really good train whistle when I was a kid. No, it was choo-choo. Ref finally sees Flair grabbing the ropes and makes him break the hold. Rick's working over Ricky's leg, but Steamboat keeps coming back with chops. Dragon tosses Flair to the ropes, goes for a clothesline, but Rick ducks and comes back with a crossbody that takes both men over the top rope to the floor. And the double 360? More steamboat chops before being tossed into the ring post by Flair. Nature Boy then brings Dragon back into the ring with a vertical suplex. Side suplex, but only a two count, and Flair is not happy with the ref's counting, shoving Tommy Young, and the ref shoves him back. Yeah, that was nice. Stand up for yourself, bud. Fuck it. Backbreaker in a pin attempt with leverage by Flair, but Steamboat keeps getting his shoulder up. The Dragon hits a small package for a two count. More Flair chops, tosses Steamboat to the corner where he leaps up on the ropes, comes off with a flying body press, but Nature Boy has ducked. A snapmare by Flair into a headlock, which is reversed into a head scissors headlock by Steamboat, which is reversed into a jackknife pin attempt by Flair, which is bridged out of and into a butterfly suplex by the dragon for the pin, and Flair gets his foot on the ropes. Holy shit. That was like the hottest, the hottest shit. It was so good. I was good. like, what? I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to take, you, you nailed it, Matthew. Nature Boy tosses Ricky to the ropes and goes for a hip toss, but is reversed into a backslide pin attempt. Steamboat goes to the top rope for a flying crossbody, hits it, but Flair had grabbed Tommy Young to use as a human shield, so everybody is down on the mat. The dragon's going for the cover, but he's literally laying on top of the ref as well. Flair with a small package, but Tommy Young is still unable to make the count. Teddy Long comes running Woo! out. That was my Teddy he's Long on the pop. outside checking on Young, while Natch throws Ricky over the top rope. 
but Steamboat holds onto the ropes and goes to the top. I thought he was going to do a... Uh, yeah, I thought he was going to skin the cat. Skin the cat. And I think that that was what he probably planned, but I think that he hadn't wrestled in a while and he was probably worn out. But I was like, ah, oh, it's the skin the cat. I was going to lose it. But I get it. But he gets back up on the apron, goes to the top turnbuckle. Yeah, he goes directly to the top. Again misses a flying body press because of flare ducking. It hurts when he misses it. Nature Boy goes to lock on the figure four, but the dragon cradles him for a small package. Teddy Long jumps in the ring, starts the count. One, two, three, and new. I couldn't believe it. Flair lost the belt? To Steamboat? Like, out of a, a feud out of nowhere? What? I was like, I was, because I was like, I just assumed that he was going to win or it'd be like a draw. But like, nah, nah. It was beautiful. Post-match, Flair and Matsuda complaining to Young, hey, Teddy Long wasn't the official ref, Mm -hmm. but Tommy runs over and raises Steamboat's arm as well. Steamboat's being mobbed by fans as he's headed back to the locker room. We go to JR and Magnum, they review the match, and then we get Bob Cottle in the back with Steamboat. Luger, Steiner, and some of the other faces start oh, showering I feel so, Ricky with champagne. Like, Ricky's not good on the mic, and then he's got like just like booze in his eyes because they're just like spraying him, and he's got his like eyes closed. Yeah, he and then they, see. at one point they like towel his face off, and then he's okay, and he starts talking, and then they do it again, and then he like closes his eyes because like I'm imagine that champagne in your eyes probably stings. Probably. But like I was like, ah, oh, poor poor Ricky can't even like not that he was gonna say anything great anyway, but. I was like, oh, he can't even he can't even have his moment. I mean, the best thing he said really was that he wants to put the NWA back in the number one spot. Yeah, of course. And it makes sense why they would put it on him. And then right before they cut away, we get to see Sting. He shows up at the like, very last second before they cut away. Oh, I don't even remember that. And then JR and Magnum review the evening and say their goodbyes while you can see a match happening in the background. Oh, yeah. It's like kind of... Was the last show where it's like, oh, and then a bunkhouse stampede qualifying match. So what was going on there was the show was done, mm-hmm. but the NWA had reserved three hours of satellite time. Oh yeah. So they went ahead and threw another match out there to run the clock, just in case some pay per view company was like, hey, like you didn't you didn't fulfill you didn't your fulfill shit. Fill three hours. Everybody literally forgot that the match was happening. Mm-hmm. And it was Steve or Steve Casey and Kendall Wyndham, two guys. I like. I know. I assume Kendall Wyndham is Barry Wyndham's brother. Exactly. So they ended up working a twenty-five minute long match because they never got the go home signal. Was anybody even in the rings in, in the arena still? Who knows? They probably all. I mean, the cameras started... obviously cut because that cost. Oh, well, I mean, maybe I guess the cameras didn't cut because they were. It was just in the background of. Of J.R. and Magnum. That's the only reason I even knew about it. And then yeah. I like found this bit of information. I was like, there's one, that's hilarious. There is one thing in this match where uh, like, when Rick has the figure four on Steamboat, he legit taps, which is a problem for me. Yeah, you do have a problem with that. I have a huge problem with like the legit tap. Like I don't mind if you like do the hit and you like pause it, but whenever you do it in succession, like that's a tap. And that but always we, takes me out of stuff. we've had issues with Steamboat doing that before. We have, Totally. And that happened here, and that was like one of the, you know, that was one of the things that took me out of this match, considering I'm a Steamboat fan. I mean, I'm a Ric Flair fan, too. If you're a wrestling fan, you're a Ric Flair fan. 
But then we get the credits over photo highlights from the evening. So, Michael Temple, mm-hmm. what were your overall thoughts of Shy Town Rumble? It's an all right show. There's a couple of matches in here that I enjoyed. It there's no really quick matches at all. No, every match is, like, every I've, match is like 15 minutes. Long. Yeah, they're all 15 minutes, and I feel like the the like pacing of some of the matches is too slow. The lineup like, of the matches is kind of weird. It's not a great show, but there is great stuff on it. I thought it was a pretty good show like it is concise I, I would say it's it doesn't overstay it's, it's welcome, a good show. but it, some matches overstay they're welcome it's better than good but it's not, not great. great yeah yeah i'm right there with you a few of the matches should have been a little bit shorter like hayes and the and russian the, assassin and the same finish in back-to-back matches bad idea hurts i have hurts the show completely i think that if those matches were spread apart it would work better but i also they think that they, they should have just, just done a different finish and it was totally possible because, like, all those guys are good, and they don't, you know... I mean... They can sell something different. And one of them is sold very well, and one of them is sold not very use well. Use Scott Steiner more in the, in the Steiner Rotunda match, or use Matsuda in the Wyndham-Luger match. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. use them. They're there at the ring. Use them for something to tell the story and get and help get it over. And what's really messed up is they're back-to-back, but one of them... Like, you get it, but it's... It still doesn't make. It's a done sense. poorly, and the other one is done like picture perfect, and they're back. I mean, back. I'm okay with the the like looking at individual matches. Mm-hmm. Both matches are fine. I like them both a lot, but those finishes back to back no kills. Yeah, yeah, kills the. It show definitely like yeah, it definitely thing. is like a head scratcher. You're like, huh, what? Like it kind of it it takes you out, and that's one of the big things with wrestling in general is that. We all know what's up, so if you're in, you're in, but when something takes you out, it's a little bit harder to get back in, in exactly. that same evening, in that same sitting. Yeah. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this evening? Well. Ricky Steamboat freaking winning the belt. Yeah. Ricky Steamboat winning the belt, obviously, is number one. Midnight versus Midnight match was very fun not great very fun very entertaining it's it's just it's pure entertainment you know it's not like by no means is it good there's only it's just nice to see Cornette get his pop it's nice to see Cornette do his role it's nice to see Paulie be you know a shit heel but those are the big the the pluses on that match because the Midnight Express doesn't really get to work like the Midnight Express and then the OG quote unquote Midnight Express is not that, it's not it and it's like one and like Jack Victory doesn't do anything. But I think that match is fun and should not be skipped watching the show. I like Rick Steiner. I like the way that match looked. I like the Lex Luger match a lot. The Sting match is good, but it's not really like Sting looks amazing, like, but it's not very important. That, I think that match was fifteen minutes or so. Yeah. It, it should have been, been eight. A, it should have been ten. Yeah. A, a, or eight. Eight to ten minutes would have been better because Sting could have been much more aggressive. Yeah. And and it would have been much more fun. But like I am just talking about things that I had more like that I enjoyed. And the Sting match, as much as I love Sting, this is it, just kinda it's pretty unnecessary it's, Sting it's match. On the lower half of the matches. If you were gonna make a like a you know, top twenty Sting matches, like this is not on. No, definitely not. The original Midnight Express versus, you know, Jim Cornette's 
Midnight Express, not a great match, but historically interesting and very fun. Like, it's not I mean, boring. It is very historically significant because it literally ends Condry and Rose's run yeah. in NWA. And it's the thing is, it's not boring. It's, not an, it's more on WWF, let's tell a story side, than it is a, like... Here's a limb. It's not a limb match. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a t- traditional tag match either. Like it is pure, like, Enjoyment. like, so it's, it's your pure soap opera, but in the ring match. Yeah. How about most disappointing Puck. that we had the same finish two matches in a row? Yeah. The, uh, PS Hayes, PS Hayes and the Russian assassin went on entirely too long. Too long. Like we were just like kind of shitting on the sting match, but it's better than the opening match. And we could have yeah. cut. We could have cut the opening match, and then the fifteen-minute sting match would not have suffered as much. I agree. I gotta say that I didn't love the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors uh, Varsity Club finish. I, I don't. Get, I get what they were going for, but it didn't work for me. No, I didn't care for it. It was fine. This show is like I would say the show is like solid, but there's not really any like crazy high points. Other than Steamboat, Steamboat yeah, Flair. it's like yeah, other than Steamboat Flair, and I think that I like the last two Flair draw matches more than I like this match, which is a weird kind of hot take, which I didn't expect, but I think that I m- was more invested and enjoyed at the time Luger Flair draw and Sting Flair draw more than I enjoyed this match, which is weird because it is weird. We, yeah, because I, we I would you know I like you would really like this one, so. and I know, and I did very much I I. Still loved it. It's obviously the best match on the show. Yeah. But it was a little less engaging, I feel like. But then those were like draws. And I kind of felt the draw coming on with those other matches. But in this match, I just, I had, did not think there was any way that Steamboat was going to win. So when Steamboat won, I kind of shit myself. But I think that those other two matches were more engaging pre finish. Because both those matches don't have a finish. How about best performer of the night? I mean, is it Steamboat? I mean, if you want to con- if you want to consider uh, promos, then then it's not. <laughs> but yeah, like in ring, in ring, it's Steamboat. Actually, I feel like Luger. I, I felt like Luger. We, I think we said it during. I, we were la- about I am. Yeah. This might be our favorite Luger match. <sighs> it's. I, I mean, you really like the draw. I love it, but. I think I like this match better. a little bit better. I, 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 wish, I, like I wish they would have done like a few things I differently. Didn't, I didn't realize that I would be a Luger, that I would enjoy Luger as much as I have. Who knows how long it'll last? I know that he killed Miss Elizabeth, so that's upsetting. Not kayfabe. <laughs> no, unfortunately, it's not, and that makes me want to cry. Uh, he didn't kill her, kill her, but I like Luger more than I thought I was going to like Luger, working my way into this. Maybe I conflated him with, like, Warrior. So, most surprising thing is that Steamboat show back up? I mean, because yeah. you were surprised. I was very surprised. I don't look at these cards. I try to go in raw. I don't want to know the finish. Sometimes you just know the stuff. You know who wins. Yeah. You know the big spot. But luckily for me, I have a terrible memory. So <laughs> I didn't know about the whole J.J. Dillon, Horseman, Matsuda Thing. Yeah, well, when, the, so when they brought in Matsuda, was, I was like, who is this guy? So, like, literally about? the first time I saw Matsuda, I was like, I have no clue who this is and what you're doing here. But he was with Wyndham, and then he was with... He, yeah, well, he, was he was with, with everyone, He was really. with Butch Reed first, and I was like, okay, well, Butch Reed just... Butch Reed. 
and then he, but then he was with Wyndham, and I was like, oh. He was seriously he was with like, everybody that was not the Midnight Express on the heel side, true. right? Yeah. Like every single one of them. Uh, he wasn't with Russian Assassin because he had Paul Jones. Oh, yeah. And I guess he wasn't with, was he with, he wasn't with Rotunda. No, he wasn't with Rotunda. But he was basically there. Yeah. All the time. And I was like, who is this guy? He didn't seem to do a whole lot. He choked. Yeah. He choked Luger in the one match. He had the... Like he was in like a lot no, of promos. Everybody... Not, the thing is, like, all, all the... He choked Sting in the one match. But yeah. other than that, like, he didn't all, do anything. All of the... Uh, all the promos, people, like, talk him up and say his name. So they're, like, obviously trying to get people used to Matsuda. And now for a look back even farther into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. At its height, the National Wrestling Alliance had territories spread out across the United States, Canada, Mexico, and Japan. While each territory recognized the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, they were free to promote shows as they wished within their territory. Some of the more prominent territories at formation would include Des Moines, Columbus, Detroit, Kansas City, and St. Louis. Others that would join the NWA over time were Minneapolis, Montreal, Toronto, Tokyo, Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina. But the biggest question was, who would be their first champion? Next week, WrestleMania Five. Oh, we did not talk about, I can't believe we didn't do it. We both love Big Gold. Big Gold shows its face. I feel like one gold belt's been around for a while. Has it? I feel like maybe I noticed it more on this show. Maybe. I don't don't know. know. It's been around. I mean, I know it's been around, but like I maybe it just shined brighter that that evening. Maybe it's because I knew Steamboat could have it. It shines like a diamond. It's it's, uh, the goldest diamond. But yeah, WrestleMania five. WrestleMania five. Which means Mega Powers explode. There we go. Thank you. I saw you look at me and you're like, huh? Wait, and then you said it. You knew it. I know where you're going. The music from this week's show is the theme song from the Shy Town Rumble, which you heard at the beginning of the show. And we're not playing Spotch Zarathustra. What is his song? Opening Ceremony by Color Sound. What does that sound like? Is it in the show? You're hearing it right now. Uh, it sounds... I don't know how it sounds. His WWF theme song was Serious by Alan Parsons. Yeah, which is the song from so the it Bulls, sounds, right? Yeah, so it sounds somewhat similar, yeah. but not quite. In the, the Bulls song rules. But if you like us and you want to let us know, let everyone else know, you can always rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can always email us any questions, comments, concerns. Just let us know that you're out there, whatever. You can do that at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter. We're always there posting pictures from each show that we cover and and other random, random things. Like our congratulations to Eddie for making it uh, to the main roster. Best ref bump of the year. But you can always find that at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O. X. I told you he was at Clash of the Champions. Yes. Okay. It was nice to see him. I was like, ah. He broke up a fight. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. We'll talk to you next week, guys. <laughs>